Well, that was worth coming for, wasn't it? What a blessing to see them sing. They want to be like Jesus. Ephesians chapter 5 in God's Word today. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Have you heard about the husband marked? In this fictional store, a woman can choose her ideal husband from many options. Now, listen, the store has six floors and the men increase in positive attributes as the shopper ascends each flight. But there is a catch because once a shopper decides to leave a floor and go to the next one, she cannot come back down except to exit the building. Well, one woman went to the husband mart one day and she went there to find a husband. And on the first floor, the sign on the door read, these men have jobs. She said, well, that's better than my last boyfriend. I wonder what's further on up. So she gets in the elevator and goes to the second floor. And the door opens and the sign reads, these men have jobs and love kids. And the woman likes this because she really wants to have a family. But she also figures that it's already this good. What in the world has to be on further up? So sure enough, she goes on up to the third floor and the door opened and the sign says, these men have jobs, love kids and extremely good looking. Now she's getting really excited because, you know, it's got to get better. It's got to get better. So she heads up onto the fourth floor and on the fourth floor, the sign says this. These men have jobs, love kids, are extremely good looking and help with housework. Incredible. The woman said, now this is tempting, she said, but there's something even better. I'm sure of it on the fifth floor. So she keeps moving on up. So her, to her delight, the fifth floor is even better. The sign reads, these men have jobs, love kids, are extremely good looking, help with housework and have a strong romantic streak. Well, by now, this woman is ecstatic. She thinks to herself, just imagine what is waiting for me on the sixth floor. So she pushes that number six button on the elevator and heads on up to the sixth floor. And she steps out of the elevator with great excitement. Only to be greeted with this sign. You are visitor numbers 3,456,789,012. There are no men on this floor. This floor exists solely as proof that women are impossible to please. Thank you for shopping at the husband, Mark. That reminds me of a story I read about a nervous bride. And uh, this bride was so nervous before the wedding ceremony, the wedding planner decided to give her some instructions, some words to focus on. So she wouldn't get mixed up. So the wedding planner said to this bride, walk down the aisle, head for the altar and look for him to take your hand. Say it again. Walk down the aisle, head for the altar and look for him to take your hand. So all the way down the aisle, she was repeating to herself, I'll alter him. I'll alter him. I'll alter him. Now, in all seriousness today, 
perhaps men are confused about what they're supposed to be as husbands. The world preaches that men are supposed, I guess, to dress in the style of Armani, uh, to play baseball like Derek Jeter, to play basketball like Michael Jordan, to drive, drive a car like Jeff Gordon, and throw a football like... Well, if you can throw a football, the Panthers might be calling you, but... Uh, <laughs> men... Today are expected to have the brains and bankroll of Bill Gates and the muscles of Arnold Schwarzenegger and the looks of Fabio, who still can't believe it's not butt off. But anyway, uh, listen, man, if, if your goal in life is to model yourself after these men, stop, because that's not what you're supposed to do. Your goal in life is one thing. Your goal in life should be Christ likeness. I hope you listen to the song the children sang this morning because the message was so awesome. I would choose to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to be like Jesus. Men, that's what our goal in life should be, to be like Jesus, Christ likeness. Do you know what a godly spirit filled wife really wants in a husband? She wants a husband who is godly. She wants a man who is godly. She wants a man who will lead and love his family. And you know what? That's what God wants for you as well, guys. I hope you got your Bibles open, Ephesians 5 by now. And today I want to talk to the men. And I want to especially talk to those who are married. Now, ladies, please keep your elbows in check today. Okay? (laughs) Remember, next week we're going to preach to you about wives. But today is for the men. And as we read this passage, guys, I want you to notice specifically what God's word says to you as a husband. Ephesians chapter five, beginning at verse 22. Ephesians five, 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present uh, her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, you need to know that Paul was writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he's writing to believers. He's writing to those who know Christ. Back up in that same chapter, uh, verse number eight. The Bible says, for you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light for the fruit of the spirit in all goodness, righteousness and truth. Drop down to verse 17. Verse 17 says, therefore, do not be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled. Watch this. Be filled with the spirit, 
speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Then it goes into instructions for wives and husbands. He's writing to believers here. And if you're going to be a godly man, if you're going to be a man that loves God and serves God and loves your wife and serves your family, you must first know God. So I ask you, sir, today, do you know God? You see, you come to God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible declares that all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. We're undone, we're condemned, we're lost, we're sinners, we're helpless. But thank God for Christ. Jesus Christ took our place. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, lived a sinless, perfect life, laid down his life on an old old rugged cross. Uh, he, he, He bled, he died. He took upon himself your sin, my sin. He was buried, but he rose again victorious. And he says, if you come to me, I'll receive you. If you come to me, I'll give you new life. If you come to me, I'll forgive you of your sin, give you a home in heaven and make you a child of God. I ask you, sir, do you know God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the starting point. If not, let me invite you today to come to Christ. Let me invite you today to turn from your sin to Christ. Say, listen, I don't want my sin anymore. I want Christ. I want salvation. I want new life. I invite you to come today. Now, for those who know Christ already, you're born again. I hope you've noticed the emphasis upon the spirit here in this chapter and living a spirit filled life. It says there in the passage we read what? That we're to be filled with the spirit. If we're going to be the husbands we ought to be. If we're going to be the husbands that are Christ-like, we're going to have to live a spirit-filled life. You say, what does that mean, preacher? Well, to be spirit-filled simply means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. In other words, as we yield to Him and His control, He directs our lives. We sometimes think this is something weird or mystical or foggy or whatever. It's not. It's very practical. Living the spiritual life means you're yielding your body, yourself, all that you are. You're yielding control to the Holy Spirit and allowing him to work in and through you. And if we're going to be the right time, right kind of husbands, we're going to, have to be spirit filled men. So keep that in mind as we study today. We don't do this in our own strength. We do it in the strength of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the question we're going to try to answer today. You ready? It's a doozy of a question. What's a husband Supposed to do. What's a husband supposed to do? Now, we're not taking suggestions or anything, so hold those to yourself. We're going to God's word and finding out what a husband's supposed to do. I know there are a lot of ideas out there, but I'm going to give you the short answer first. Are you ready for it? Here's the short answer. What's a husband supposed to do? A godly husband. You ready? A godly husband will lead and love his wife. Period. A godly husband will lead and love his wife. Now, that's simple enough, right? So what's the problem? Well, I think Max Andrews hit the nail on the head when he said, we have men who won't lead, women who won't follow, children who won't obey, and parents who won't nurture. The ship is going down and every person's out to save his own neck. That's where we are today in many areas. We have men who won't lead. Lead. They won't lead. That's where we are. Let's look at where we ought to be. Where we should be. First of all, husband, lead 
your wife. Look at verse 23 again of this passage. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ, notice this, is the head of the church, and he's the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, remember, guys, we're not the ultimate authority. This is a God given responsibility. I want you to listen to this verse. First Corinthians eleven three. Listen to this. But I want you to know that the head of every man. Is Christ. The head of woman is man and the head of Christ is God. Now, we talk about leading our wives, leading our families. We need to be very clear about what we are talking about and about what we are not talking about. We're going to talk about submission next week. We're going to talk about what that does mean and what it does not mean. But today we're looking at the man's role. And I think this leadership here is best described with these words. It's servant leadership, servant leadership or a leader who serves. The husband is to be a servant leader. That may sound strange. That may sound impossible. But notice it's likened here to Christ and the church as a pastor. I'm giving a certain amount of pastoral authority, God given responsibility, but I'm to be a servant leader. I'm not here to lord it over you. I'm not here to dictate. I'm here to be a servant leader. Now, let's talk about what that does not mean. Husbands, listen, this is what it does not mean. This is not original with me. I draw freely from many sources. It does not mean becoming a lording leader, making all the decisions yourself or seeking to be selfish and control others to meet your own needs. That's not what it's talking about here. It does not mean you have to have a rally the troops personality and you can really get out there and say, let's go. That's not what it means at all. It also does not mean you're to be passive, uh, disengaged and give no direction whatsoever to your wife and your family. And it also does not mean that you cannot delegate. Or that the wife cannot initiate. Hear that plainly. Does not mean you can't delegate or wife can't initiate. Now, here's what it does mean. It means the husband assumes overall responsibility for the direction of his family. He assumes overall responsibility for the direction of his family. And he takes the initiative to see that the needs of his wife and family are met. He's a servant leader. It means that he takes upon himself the responsibility to maximize his wife's gifts, his wife's abilities, that he might have her be all she can be. It means that he pours out his own life for his wife and for his family. It means he helps his wife to become all that she can be and that God wants her to be. And it means this, fellas. It means we deny ourselves and we give our life for our wife. And our family. It's pretty clear. This is not me, Tarzan, you Jane stuff here. That's not what it is at all. It's servant leadership. Another author said this. Biblical leadership is responsible, compassionate, understanding, accountable, competent, respectful, authoritative, pioneering, exemplary and God fearing. This author said being a leader does not mean making all the decisions. 
nor does it refer to being the boss in the marriage, the church or society at large. It implies taking the initiative, accepting responsibility and shouldering the weight under accountability before God. Listen, guys, you can walk around every day, all day, hollering, hollering, submit, 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 submit. But the Bible does not tell you to tell your wife to submit. Hear that again. The Bible does not tell you to tell your wife to submit. Don't take as your life verse there. Ephesians chapter five, verse 22, guys. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. God doesn't tell you to do that. God also does not tell you to make sure they submit. You know what the Bible tells you to do? It tells you to love your wife. To lead your wife. That's what the Bible says do. Love your wife. Now, I ask you, sir. Are you leading and loving your wife? This is a God-given role. This is a God-given responsibility. Adrian Rogers said it this way. Headship does not mean privilege. It means responsibility. Headship does not mean privilege. It means responsibility. Marriage is two equals who come together with different roles in a covenant. I like what else he he said there. He said anything with no head is dead. And anything with two heads is a freak. Think about that. Anything with no head is dead. Anything with two heads is a freak. Somebody's going to take the leadership role. Somebody's going to be the leader. Somebody's going to be the one out in the front leading the way. God wants that to be you, husband. God wants that to be you, sir. I was reading the other day about a cartoon. I didn't see the cartoon, but they were describing the cartoon. There's a couple that are in the marriage counselor's office. And from the appearance, it seemed they were very, very young, this couple, maybe still in their teens. And the girl is there in this cartoon hugging her teddy bear tightly. And this young husband says in a very superior tone, I thank you, know our problem, doctor. She keeps taking the teddy bear away from me. (laughs) It's time that some men get away and put away the teddy bears. Put away immaturity, put away selfishness and start leading their families. Yes. Amen. I'll amen that. Husband, lead your wife. But secondly, husbands, love your wife. Now, in all honesty, this leading and loving, it all kind of overlaps and goes together. It's loving leadership. But we're looking at them separately just to better understand them. Lead your wife. Now, love your wife. Verse 25. Husbands. Love your wives. Notice this next part now. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, what kind of love is this? This is agape love. This is the kind of love that Jesus chose. This is Jesus love. This is the highest form of love. And it gets very specific here. What kind of love is this? Preacher? Well, first of all, it's sacrificial love. Look at verse 25 again. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ. Also loved the church and gave himself for her. It's sacrificial. Now notice it doesn't say in there. It does not say Christ gave of himself. It doesn't say that. It says Christ gave himself. Right. It says he gave himself for her. That is the bride. That is the church. He loved the church so much. He died for the church. 
Pastor Jack Graham said some men get into marriage for the same reason a tick gets on a dog to see what he can get out of it. But he says what makes a marriage great is not what you can get, but what you give. As husbands, we need to be like Jesus and give ourselves away for our wives. We're to lay down our life for our wife. If need be, I mean, literally, you should be willing to take a bullet for your wife. And I think most men that I'm talking to today, I'm pretty certain would do that without blink, without hesitation. You would give your very life for them physically, literally. Listen, you'll die for them. Why won't you live with them? Why won't you honor them? Why won't you serve them? Why won't you love them? Why won't you give up your time and give them your life? You see, our role is a role of responsibility, not privilege. We give ourselves away sacrificially. Secondly, it's a sanctifying love. Look at verses 26 and 27. That he might sanctify, talking about Christ the church, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. We should see it to it, men, that our wives have every opportunity to develop into everything that God wants them to become. While we cannot force them, we cannot make them, we can certainly encourage them and enable them and see to it that our wives have every opportunity available to grow spiritually. To grow more like the Lord Jesus. And even to develop in other ways. We allow them and encourage them and enable them to be what God wants them to be. Sanctifying love. It's a sacrificial love, a sanctifying love. And thirdly, here's an interesting one, guys. It's a self-love. Look at verse number 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives. Now watch this next part. As their own bodies. You say, well, preacher, I don't love myself. You're a liar. You are. Let me come today and take away your recliner and your television and your remote control. Let me take away that stuff. You love yourself. I love myself. Notice what the scripture says there. Verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh. That is he by his right mind. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherisheth it. Just as the Lord does the church. I mean, guys, you get up and you want certain types of clothes and you want to bathe and you want to look a certain way and you want to be thought of in all kinds of ways. You love yourself. And God says to you, I want you to love your wife like that. And here's the interesting thing. It says there at the end of verse 28, he who loves his wife loves himself. That's kind of interesting. In other words, it sounds strange, but the Bible says what later on in verse 31 we read last week and studied last week. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and two shall become one flesh. So if we're two who become one in marriage... When I love my wife, I love myself. Well, that's mind boggling, isn't it? It's a self-love. I heard a Christian comedian put it this way one time. He said, happy wife, happy life. (laughs) Happy wife, happy life. In other words, as you love your wife, as you love yourself, as you love your wife, as Christ loved the church, you literally love yourself. And he says what? We're to nourish and cherish our wives. Now, what does it mean to nourish And cherish. John MacArthur says to nourish a wife means to provide for her needs and to give that which helps her grow and mature in favor with God and man. 
You know, we meet the needs, we provide our needs, we give her things, we help her, we, we nourish her. And then to cherish her, he says, is to, use a ten, is to use tender love and physical affection, to give her warmth, comfort, protection, and security, to cherish her. Are you tender, sir? Are you tender towards your wife? Do you provide that security, that warmth, that comfort that she needs? He says those responsibilities are primarily the husbands, not the wives. Now, we we think differently, don't we? If there's going to be somebody in the home that's going to nourish and cherish, who is it? We say it's going to be the woman. God says, I want to be the man. Nourish and share. I told you, beloved, in this passage, in this series, I'm not looking to be politically correct. I'm looking to be biblically correct. I'm not looking to the world for instructions. I'm looking to God's word for instructions. Now, I think, fellas, we're getting the picture and maybe you don't like it. We're to be loving servant leaders. But here's the real issue. What does that look like in real life? How does that flesh itself out in the daily grind of life? What does that look like in street clothes? How does that fit into our lives? We can sit in church and say, amen, that's wonderful. That's right. But how does that work once we leave this place and we go through our day to day and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and so forth? Gary Chapman, in his book, The Family You've Always Wanted, has a section called A Look at a Healthy Husband. And in it, he gives six guidelines to help a man be a loving husband. And we don't have time to develop these today, but I want to give these six to you. And I want you to kind of register them away, guys, and think on them and show them a little bit. Okay? I know most of you don't write them down, but just see if you can kind of tuck them away for a little bit. Number one, a loving husband views his wife as a partner. A loving wife, or I mean, a loving husband views his wife as a partner. In other words, she's not a trophy for you to display. Uh, She's not someone who's there to just meet your needs and serve you. She's your partner Two have become one. A wise husband will treat his wife as a partner and uh, they will make decisions together. He'll get her input. He'll utilize her talents, her gifts, her abilities. They'll go through life together. You probably heard before that marriage is 50 50. You ever heard that? That's a lie. It's a lie. Marriage is to be a hundred and a hundred. It's a one hundred and one hundred. It's not fifty fifty. A loving husband will view his wife as a partner. Secondly, a loving husband will communicate with his wife. Well, that's hard, isn't it? Some of us guys, we might can grunt. How was your day? All right. Communicate. We might have to have a whole sermon on communication. I think I need it. A loving husband will communicate with his wife. Third, a loving husband will put his wife at the top of his priority list. Listen, she comes right after the Lord. Your wife does. May I be even so bold to say even before your children? Yes. The top. But usually what does the wife get? She gets the bottoms, the leftovers or nothing at all. A loving husband puts his wife at the top of the priority list. Number four, a loving husband will love his wife unconditionally. Unconditionally. So she didn't look the way I look, she looked when I married her. Doesn't matter. She didn't act the same. She's not as not. Whatever. It doesn't matter. You don't love her unconditionally. Does Christ love us? 
The church? Yes. Does he love us unconditionally? Yes. Number five, a loving husband is committed to discovering and meeting his wife's needs. You say, preacher, this sounds like a lot of work. It is. It is. He'll give himself to discovering and meeting his wife's needs. And by the way, may I go ahead and tell you, they're not all just things you can buy with money. Number six, a loving husband will seek to model his spiritual and moral values. Listen, you're to be a godly man. You're to be godly on Sunday and Monday. You should be the same person in this church as you are out in this society. You need to model your spiritual and moral values, your beliefs. Be growing. Be a man of God. We need men today who will be men of God. Who live for the Lord and honor God. You should be the one leading in your family. You don't send your wife and children to church. You take them to church. You don't lead, you know, take them to do something. You lead them. You set the example. You set the tone. You make sure your family's praying together over the meals and so forth. You make sure that you're leading in those areas. We've got a lot to chew on, guys. We've got a lot of responsibility. Why? Because headship is not about privilege. It's about responsibility. Servant leaders. Loving leaders. Brian Chappell tells about something that happened in a rural town where he was pastoring for a number of years. He said a new Walmart opened up. And he said it not only became the hub of retailing in this rural town, it also became the social center of the town. It hosted events for senior citizens and children. And Walmart in that town made it the place to be. Because it was a rural town. We understand that, don't we? He said, he writes, Florence, an older woman in our church, practically made the store her second home. Shopping for a few things I need became a daily excuse to meet friends along the aisles, take grandchildren on shopping outings, and just share conversation with acquaintances and get up to date on the latest town happenings. Florence's husband was named Bill, and Bill was a retired carpenter who loved the outdoors. He enjoyed time at their nearby lake house, fishing and puttering. And each of these folks, Florence and Bill, spent their days doing what they loved, though their love for one another was their deepest delight. That deep love showed itself when Florence's age no longer allowed her to drive herself to Walmart. Florence found herself isolated from friends and family, and she grieved because her daily excursions had come to an end. But that grief did not last long. You see, Bill, who loved the outdoors and loved the lake house and loved doing these things, he didn't understand his enjoyment of his uh, wife's enjoyment of Walmart shopping. Can I get a witness, man? Nor did he desire to join her in shopping at Walmart. But Bill soon realized just how much Florence missed it. And one day he decided he was going to forego his time at the lake house and he drove Florence to Walmart. And he stayed there until she was ready to leave, which, by the way, was not soon. And on the many subsequent trips and days that Bill took Florence to the store, he began taking along his lawn chair. And they would amble down the aisles together until Florence would strike up a conversation with a friend or a stranger. And then Bill would unfold his lawn chair 
put it down in the middle of the aisle and sit there until Florence was ready to go on to the next conversation. Now, can you see him? Just around Walmart and she stopped. He sits in a lawn chair and she's done. He gets up and goes out of the aisle. But Brian Chapel said this as he sat in the aisle, silently beaming at the enjoyment of his wife, Bill became the darling of the community. You know why? Because he loved his wife as himself. Now, I know some of you are thinking, preacher, anything but Walmart. Oh, anything. Yes, even Walmart. How about it, men? Is your goal Christ-likeness? Is your goal to love and lead your wife even as Christ loved the church? I wonder, men, husbands, do some things need to change in your life starting today? Starting this hour, starting at this invitation time, will you be a real man, a godly man, a servant leader, a loving leader? The real question is this, men. Will you and I, will we obey God? Will we be what we're supposed to be? Let's pray. Father. Thank you for the love of Christ. And now, Father, I pray. For your help. We realize as men, we're not able of ourselves to do this, but we know we can do all things through Christ. We need the empowering of your Holy Spirit, the filling of your spirit. To be loving, leading husbands. I thank you for the men here today, whether they're married or not. And I pray, Lord, today that if there are any men here that do not know Christ as Savior, I pray in this next few moments, they'll come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray for your Holy Spirit to convict them and bring them to an end of themselves and bring them to Christ. And then, Lord, I pray for husbands today. Lord, I think about those who know you and love you, but, Lord, they're struggling. Father, I pray today with your help that they would recommit themselves and dedicate themselves to obeying you, to be what they're supposed to be, to love and lead their wives and family. Help us as we go about our day to day lives. Help us to remember, as your word teaches, to be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another. Help us, Lord, to lovingly lead our families. And I thank you for your love for us. Thank you for Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.